Papers. I'm the professor, and this is the moment of truth. This morning's briefing is about a crime that occurred a couple of years ago, and it demonstrates what I meant when I said that these thugs with badges would begin to depend on corrupt judges to get their necks out of the noose. It also proves that the idiots who tell us to vote Republican are as much our enemy as these vote blue no matter who clowns. You'll remember that in December 2020, an Afro-Latino Army Lieutenant, Karan Nazario, was illegally stopped and assaulted by thugs with badges in Windsor, Virginia. It's a small but unquestionably racist town. The excuse that the thugs gave was that he didn't have a license plate on his car. But after they illegally stopped him, it turned out he did have a license plate. So why were they stopping him at all? Because it wasn't about a traffic stop. It was some white supremacists carrying out yet another anti-black ambush. When Nazario said that he was scared to get out of the vehicle, the thugs said that he should be. So they were making it clear this wasn't a traffic stop. It was a pre-planned ambush. Lieutenant Nazario asked for a supervisor to be sent out. The thugs ignored his request and began assaulting him. First, a white Latino named Gutierrez pepper sprayed him several times. Then they beat him and handcuffed him. The only reason Lieutenant Nazario wasn't killed was because he made sure not to stop until he was in a public, well-lit place. This, of course, is typical behavior by the thugs in blue, the people who we're told do not target black people and who we're told they don't need to be defunded because they're just doing their jobs. I think it goes without saying, of course, that Nazario was never charged with a crime because he hadn't committed one. The thug Gutierrez, on the other hand, was fired just four months after the assault. The criminals, as always, are the police. But as sickening as this cowardly act of unprovoked violence was, the real crime happened later. The Attorney General of Virginia at that time, Mark Herring, sued the town of Windsor because they clearly operate in a way meant to target black people. Gutierrez, the white Latino thug who was the most violent towards Lieutenant Nazario, was fired, but then the white supremacists began getting on code. Their scheme began with the announcement that they were going to be appointing a so-called special prosecutor. Now, there was nothing special about this case, so they didn't need special anything to handle it. They had already made the decision that they were not going to prosecute. They simply brought in a special prosecutor as a way for the DA and the judges to be able to say, oh, well, you can't blame us for it. Why, it's this special prosecutor that we brought in who's not accountable to the public. That's the person you should be angry at. They called in some unelected temporary operative to do their dirt for them. Now, the crooked special collaborator, I mean, uh, prosecutor, didn't dare put this before a grand jury because he knew that a jury would indict and a trial jury would convict. So they didn't want this going to trial. The special prosecutor, Anton Bell, lied and claimed that Gutierrez and the other criminal hadn't violated any state laws, so he wasn't going to prosecute. He didn't even bring it before a grand jury. In fact, he didn't even have the nerve to try to have a judge give some phony illegal ruling on the case. This is about going back to the old pattern of trying to give immunity from law to the thugs with badges, burying the cases and doing it blatantly. This Anton Bell character said that if the feds wanted to prosecute, they could follow up. But as far as he was concerned, there were no laws that were broken. Now, keep in mind, this special prosecutor, he didn't actually issue any sort of determination on this case until August of last year. Admit that he had had this dang thing for two and a half years and hadn't even moved on it. What do you think that was about? He was waiting. 
They were just waiting out public attention, waiting till the headlines change, waiting till there's attention elsewhere, and then we'll quietly announce, well, we're not doing anything about this. That's why they wanted a special prosecutor. He said that if the feds wanted to follow this, they could, but he wasn't doing anything about it. You're probably wondering, where's Biden's DOJ been all this time? Over two years since this crime occurred, and Biden's DOJ has been napping? Kristen Clark and other do-nothings of Biden's DOJ have been thinking about this at all. Keep in mind, this crime happened only a few weeks after Biden was elected. The nation was going through the aftermaths of those uprisings. And Biden made it very clear he's not talking about this when he wouldn't even mention it. So, with Biden taking the side of the thugs in blue, Lieutenant Nazario was forced to go in alone and file the civil suit. However, the judge on the case ruled that there was probable cause to pull Lieutenant Nazario over for a, quote, improperly displayed license plate. So the story's gone from he didn't have a license plate to there was a license plate to now it was improperly displayed. Keep in mind, this judge said all this after there were no charges brought against Nazario. The judge also ruled that qualified immunity meant that the assailants couldn't be held accountable for their assault of Lieutenant Nazario, especially not for unlawful seizure and excessive force. Qualified immunity. Now, there's a talking point that we haven't heard in some time. Now, normally we only hear qualified immunity when it comes to a jury. Well, the jury didn't commit because of qualified immunity. That ain't working anymore. And the judge is saying, well, I'm not going to allow it because of qualified immunity. That's something that a jury is supposed to determine, not a judge. It just goes to show they're testing the waters now. Biden's administration has made clear that they are fully on board with the bad guys. So now they want to test and see, have things changed even a little bit since 2020? The thugs pulled him over for no reason. They then point their guns at someone who has his car parked. They pepper sprayed him and beat him. But apparently the judge felt, well, that's just them doing their jobs. And just to make it clear that this judge was on the side of the bad guys, he said that it was because Nazario didn't immediately exit the vehicle that it was legal. Guns are supposed to only be drawn in the event of an imminent danger. A person who parks at a gas station whose hands are in plain view is not an imminent anything. The judge dismissed the most damaging and readily provable parts of the case, and he only left false imprisonment and assault and battery. In other words, basically stuff is barely a misdemeanor, and in civil court, hopefully wouldn't fetch too much money. This was about limiting the fallout for the thugs in blue. This was about crippling that case as much as possible. This week, a federal jury in Virginia awarded Nazario just $3,600. That's it. The jury found in favor of the attackers, by the way, in regards to the false imprisonment and assault and battery charges, Naturally, the criminals were glad to see the white supremacy got on code for once, with the attorney for the assailant saying, in the present climate, this took a lot of courage, and we thank the jury for their service. In the present climate, yeah, in a present climate where justice is at least possible, this is a problem. It took courage. No, it takes no courage to side with white supremacy. It takes no courage to ignore the law. Criminals do it all the time. It takes no courage. It takes no courage to attack the people in the society who have the least amount of power. It takes no courage to side with criminals who the taxpayers are forced to support. And that lawyer's statement is a blatant confession that they were on code. How does a jury find against your client and give your client this 
fine for $3,600. And instead of saying, oh my God, that was unjust. My client did absolutely nothing wrong. They should have come back and said that there was no penalty. Instead, the attorney says the $3,600, that's the right decision. Yeah, my, my guy, he had civil liability. He was civilly liable for this. The civil penalty, yeah, he should have gotten a civil penalty. Have you ever heard of a defense attorney who says that their client being found liable is the correct decision? So what does that tell you? This is the white supremacist congratulating other bigots in the courtroom for ignoring the law and giving a violent criminal a slap on the wrist. That's what this was really about. It's a matter of congratulating themselves. Yeah, we got on code for that one. So the bad guys are trying to get their little courage up. They're testing the fence to see what the results will be. Were the uprisings of 2020 a one-off? We'll continue with the moment of truth in just a moment, but first, a word from the official sponsor of Black Empowerment, Power Tools. There's no telling when something's going to come up, so make sure you carry your power tools at all times. You never know when you're going to need to bring the hammer down, or when you'll have some trash that needs to be blown away, or some obstacle that requires cutting down. Don't get caught empty-handed. Keep your hammer close by. Keep that leaf blower at the ready. And always carry your steel. Power tools. Because no matter what your day job or side hustle may be, there's no excuse for not being ready to put in some work. The progress of the last few years has been modest in comparative terms, but there has been progress towards making sure that the police are actually punished for their crimes. Now, the bad guys know that they can't undo this progress overnight, but what they want to do is to try to test the public, see how far they can go. What can they get away with? And this is happening at the federal level, mind you. This is what I was telling you about when I said that these crooked judges would be the thugs with badges last ditch. Also, you see that these racists didn't care that Lieutenant Rosario was a commissioned officer of the U.S. military. Those racists in Virginia saw he wears this country's uniform, and they still sided with the racists who attacked him. Virginia is a red state, and those racist right-wingers sided against a soldier, same way they sided with the racists who attacked the Capitol and supported them attacking the police on January 6th. White supremacy has no principles other than situational ethics and moral relativism. They will cheer on beating the police in D.C. if it suits their racist agenda, and then they'll turn right around the very next day and support the police assaulting a black soldier because that suits their agenda. That also brings us to another point. The judge who dismissed most of Lieutenant Nazario's civil charges, his name is Roderick Young. He was appointed by Trump in 2020 in what were the final days of the Trump administration, now, remember, as I've explained to you before on this very channel, the Republican Party, particularly Mitch McConnell, have been utterly obsessed with capturing the federal judiciary. The reason they're so obsessed about it is they see that they're losing those angry white voters that they've needed in order to hold those state legislatures. So that being the case, since they're not going to be in a position to write laws, they're trying to extend their little influence as long as possible. And that's why they want federal judgeships because federal judgeships are for life, meaning basically they find some GOP stooge, put them on the federal bench, and then you got somebody who'll be there for the next 30 or 40 years, depending on how young they are, probably longer. Haven't you noticed that the GOP spends so much time trying to find as many judges in their early 30s and late 20s as possible? Doesn't matter how ignorant of the law they are because this isn't about law. This is about political reliability. They want judges who are gonna be legislating from the bench. 
laws be damned. Now, the GOP are not the ones who actually choose these nominees. These nominations are actually selected by the Federalist Society. Now, on this very channel, you can find the videos that I posted about those guys. The Federalist Society are right-wing zealots who have agreed to wholesale ignore the law and just hand down rulings according to their own political extremist ideology. And these are the people who told Trump what judges to put on the bench. And the Democrats went right along with it. This young character's nomination was unanimously supported by the Senate. But what happened with the civil case for Lieutenant Nazario wasn't the only such incident like this to have happened this week. Over in Baltimore, Marilyn Mosby's replacement announced that he's not going to prosecute the killer of Donnell Rochester. He actually had the nerve to make that announcement after the Maryland Attorney General's office had determined that prosecutors could likely prove that the killer had committed voluntary manslaughter. So the Maryland Attorney General's office's own investigation of this matter said that prosecutors could likely prove that the killer had committed voluntary manslaughter. And yet you got this new state's attorney here saying, well, I'm not going forward with it anyway. What does that tell you? This isn't about law. This is about white supremacy protecting the thugs in blue. You gotta understand something, family. The only people as perverted as the white supremacists are the wannabes, because they'll go to extremes to show how much they want to be on the team. The bad guys have been backed into a corner, and now they're trying to slither their way out of it. I've been telling you exactly what the playbook would be, and here it is. The enemy is resorting to legal maneuvers that are meant to circumvent the criminal process because they know they already lost that one. They can't depend on grand juries anymore and can't depend on trial juries. Appointing a special prosecutor is a tactic, not a strategy, because they can't do that all the time. Everybody would understand, gee, don't you notice the matter? All these special prosecutors that they're appointing all the time, they didn't use that before, gee. Well, these special prosecutors never seem able to charge anyone. It must be a trick by the prosecutor so they can avoid having to do the dirty work themselves. This is not something that's a long-term strategy at all. The very scumbags who don't want to prosecute the police are going to be allowed to choose who handles the cases? The fix is in. And that's because trash like Gutierrez are scared of criminal juries. He should be. White supremacists cannot be allowed to carry out violence and criminality without being made to pay a price. We've taken a pound of flesh from the criminals, but more is required to make sure the enemy doesn't start getting any ideas. Remember, every victory fuels the next victory, and every defeat fuels the next defeat. We put these criminals on the ropes, but it's not enough to merely put them on the defensive. They also have to be kept there. The enemy is circling the wagons for anti-black racism, hoping to circumvent the law and the will of the public. What they think they're going to do is to regroup and make some sort of stand. Well, it falls to moral people to ensure that no matter what stalling tactics or desperate maneuvers the enemy tries to pull, it will still be white supremacy's last stand. Good day and be one. I'd like to take a moment to mention some of our contributors. Mark Miller, Esfeo Dingaswayo, Richard Allen Lovell, Alvin McCoy, and Nora Brown. Salute to them and thank you to everyone for listening, liking, and sharing this message. Black empowerment only exists because of you. Of crisis, things happening. What, ha what matters is when it happens to you, are you prepared? That's exactly what this channel is about. And I hope that you will join with our community in getting ready for as many of the world's unknowns as we possibly can. 
Right now, I'm going to bring to you some headlines from America and from around the world. A reminder that someone is having an SHTF event today and that tomorrow it could be you. The Prime Minister of Finland at the Davos meeting has said that if we want to avoid decades of invasions, it will take a complete NATO-driven driven crushing of Russia at this moment in time. The Polish Prime Minister has said that Ukraine's defeat will be a prelude to World War III, and that it's going to take the readiness and togetherness of all NATO countries to come together against Russia. Military strategists are warning that there is a widening expectation that over the next four months, fighting around Ukraine will increase and intensify. Both sides, they say, are planning offenses and the loss of life is expected to increase and it's going to possibly bleed over into other non-Ukrainian countries in Europe. In a well-circulated report from the Financial Times, the Belarusian opposition leader has warned that there will be massive unrest, severe disobedience, they call it, if Alexander Lukashenko, the leader to Belarus, mobilizes assistance for Russia in this conflict against Ukraine. Now, Henry Kissinger, the Schwab mentor, he told the World Economic Forum that Ukraine must join NATO. This, of course, goes against previous warnings from the world leaders of the financial markets. You know, you think of them as a world bank, not the world bank, but as a world bank. What they do is they are the ones who move the chess pieces around. The pawns that are our brothers and sisters at war. The pawns that are you and me as we go to work. We are no more than chess pieces on a board for them. They win when they have the most power and money as possible. In an updated warning, the British Foreign Secretary is quoted as saying that if Putin thinks that Britain will get tired of war, he has severely miscalculated. Now you can start to see the rhetoric increase around this becoming not just a multi-month conflict, but becoming a multi-year, decades-long war. They said that Britain will provide military support to Ukrainian forces in ways that will not cease. The uh, minister said that we cannot ignore China and cannot ignore how to deal with China on many issues. This is all before saying that Iran as being an Israel target and an American target, that Iran's nuclear program is a threat to the entire globe, one for international security. And there you can see these countries setting up a readiness for Israel to take out Iran. Now, last week, for the first time in history, the European Union imported more energy from the United States of America than from Russia. That's according to Eurostat, and it shows you that the tides of war are changing. Globalization has been decoupled, and there's no more playing nice with political enemies. But don't worry, it's easy to see that big industry has your best interests in their hearts, right? I want you to look at this recent admission and report from the chemical pharmaceutical giant Merck, who has said that they are, quote, set to remove cancer-causing chemicals from their top diabetes drugs. That's according to a Bloomberg report. Now, isn't that nice of them? I sure do appreciate the big guys up there looking out for us. 
that they're going to remove a cancer-causing chemical but keep selling us their goods. Do you think that any of the people who might have gotten cancer after taking their products before them can sue them? No, absolutely not. That's why big pharmacy and politics are so intermingled. No suing allowed. It's in your best interest. And you need to remember that as you look for alternatives when there are some diet and exercise, mindfulness, meditation, whatever it might be, try to find a way to get off a chemical pharmaceutical if you can. The Russian president, Vladimir Putin, has submitted to the Duma a bill on the termination of international treaties of the Council of Europe. This is, of course, with respect to the Russian Federation. This is as we see Russia ready to make an all-new conflict wave against Europe. The U.S. Deputy Secretary of State Sherman has warned Russia through official delegate channels, saying openly that Russia's president has decided to press further in its war against Europe and that in turn the United States of America, combined with all of its military might, will press further still. The Dutch are sending their Patriot missile defense systems to Ukraine, according to an AMP news outlet citing the Prime Minister. That, of course, is going to uh, change things a little bit. Now, interestingly, on this latest aid package for Ukraine, Ben Wallace has said that the tanks that are being sent, the AS-90s and the ammunition, will come from UK stocks. But he said a significant amount of other donations are being purchased from the open market or from <coughs> supporting third-party countries. Now, this, of course, is a way that other countries who don't want to be seen by Russia as a direct enemy can give weapons to NATO allies and allow them to be used. We are watching for the next stages after we saw what appears to be an anti-submarine exercise that took place off the coast of Florida in the southern, uh, southeastern side of the United States of America. What happens next, and whether this was just a drill or an exercise, we're still waiting to see that. The general staff has said that Russia offers citizenship to foreigners in exchange for enlisting in the military. Russian authorities are now offering for, uh, foreigners in Russia Russian citizenship in exchange for doing their job and fighting against what they call the Nazi regime in other countries. That's according to the general staff reported just a few days ago. The Russian Ministry of Defense has now announced that the placement of the Yars missile system is on immediate combat patrol. This was around the same time that a Russian fighter was confirmed to have been intercepted and, excuse me, a Russian fighter was confirmed to have intercepted and shadowed a German plane that made its way over the Baltic Sea. We're starting to see other countries becoming involved in World War III every day. We're also seeing here on the channel intelligence showing that U.S. and Polish troops are increasing their active patrol regions, including the current patrolling and readiness drills along the Ukraine and Poland border. The images that we have looked over show 20 armored vehicles being deployed, multiple uh, dozens of personnel, and it looks like they are either watching for something or looking for something at this time. We're watching a reiteration of a warning from the Moldovan military intelligence who has stated openly that after discussions with the Ukrainian intelligence gathering side, they have agreed that there is a high risk, according to their quote, of a Russian offensive on the Moldovan region of Transnistria. They say that this 
could happen tomorrow or it could happen any time in the coming months. The Norwegian Air Force is now proudly supporting, they say in an official press release, its air defense readiness, saying that the NAF is now in Iceland and will once again patrol and protect the Icelandic skies. This is during an Iceland policing exercise in the year 2023. Now, we talked to you uh, here about earlier reports that are now being confirmed showing that the Pentagon is tapping into a vast but, of course, lesser-known stockpile of American-ready ammunition that has been located purposefully in the Middle East inside of Israel. This was in order to meet Ukraine's need for artillery shells in the war that the USA and the West is placing openly against Russia. This information has been confirmed in the past 24 hours by American and Israeli officials. They say that it will leave America vulnerable if it depletes the goods that it has within the country. And so instead, they will use these uh, this ammunition stockpiles in the wars between Russia, China, and Iran. It's been noted that this stockpile was created in order to provide arms and ammunition for the Pentagon to use in the Middle Eastern conflicts and that the uses have been expanded now to allow Israel access to the supplies in its own conflicts and emergencies. Military strategists say that the shipment of hundreds of thousands of artillery shells from the two available stockpiles will help sustain Ukraine's war efforts against Russia. This is a story about the limits of America's industrial base and diplomatic sensitivities of these two vital U.S. allies. Now, we see Russia saying that, go ahead, use your weapons, use your ammo. They say it won't matter because Russia can make them, can manufacture them quicker than America. They say with the front line now mostly stationary, artillery has become the most important combat arm. Now, I want you to remember this because as you enter into a time of extreme social unrest, maybe even a time of social conflict, you will learn quickly during riots and protests or fights for or against government entities, you will learn very quickly that the tools that are used for conflict are spent quicker than they can be remade. Now that is why we see in every armed conflict, individuals taking the goods off of men that have been downed in battle. There's an old saying that I want you to remember, use a weapon to get a weapon. So we have a lot of people in the preparedness community that go full Rambo. And they say that unless you have 10,000, uh, you know, 10,000 rounds, a top of the line American made weapon, you will fail in a battle. But that's simply not true, uh, not true at all. We see people fighting against supreme military superiority and they do it with sometimes sticks and stones, with traps, with uh, ammunition that they have found on the side of the road. So just remember that you do need to have your plans in order, but it's not going to take the amount of uh, weapons that Rambos would like you to believe. Instead, what I want you to do is just get everything that you can to the best of your ability. If you find yourself having to defend your life or the lives of people around you, you use a weapon to get a weapon in self-defense. All that matters is that you make it to the end of the day. Now, Mark F. Cancian, a former White House weapons strategist, has said in a study for the Center 
for Strategic and International Studies of War in Washington, where he is a senior advisor that is going to take a lot of ammunition to win this war. Another analysis that was published by the Foreign Policy Research Institute warned that if Ukraine continues to receive a uh, supply of steady ammunition, particularly for artillery as well as spare parts, it stands a much better chance at pushing back Russian land that Russia has seized. The question is whether the advantages will prove to be enough for Ukrainian forces to retake territory from entrenched Russian troops. That's Rob Lee or Robert Lee and Michael Kaufman, leading military analysts. Are you prepared to defend your land? Are you prepared to defend your family? Those are questions you need to be asking yourself because if you're not, if you want to take a more passive stance, then evacuation needs to be your top priority. Now, just like we tell you here on the channel to cash your goods, that means to put them away, hide them away, and that you will need these goods in a disaster, we also warn you that two is one and one is none. That means if you have one weapon, one lighter, one uh, can of food, the chances are that that can of food, that weapon, that lighter, whatever it might be, will be lost. And so having two is really just having one. Because if one gets lost, broken, damaged, whatever, you'll have one as a backup. We also tell you that if you lose your primary weapon, your primary first aid kit, or your primary location, you will need a backup of sorts to be able to make it out of a conflict unscathed. And that is what I want for you. We warn you of these things because they are the right thing to do. And in doing so, you are not alone. Government states do this exact thing. And you can see from this news that broke last night showing that the European Union has given Finland 242 million euros or around 260 million dollars. They have now set up for the first time in history a reserve against or a cash, if you'd like to call it that, against chemical, biological, radiological and nuclear threats. This reserve or cash is to be used by all member states, according to the Finnish government in a press release said just yesterday. This is a quote. Russia's war of aggression against Ukraine has confirmed the need to strengthen the EU's CR, uh, CBRN, that's chemical, biological, radiological, and nuclear preparedness. The European Commission for Crisis Management Director uh, Janez Lenarsik uh, has said in a statement that the world needs to get ready. The reserve will consist of rescue equipment, so take note what you might need. It will consist of medical supplies, such as antidotes to chemical weapons. It will consist of radiation meters. Those are intended to protect first responders as well as the civilian population. The Finland Interior Ministry has labeled out exactly what will be included in the stockpiles, and I suggested that research that and see what you can do for a cash for your family. They said the stockpiles need to be established. They will improve the European Union's strategic preparedness and readiness to respond to different kinds of threats. Now, don't forget that if you cash your own goods, you're a panicker, you are a doom and gloomer, you are a hoarder, and you are bad. You're the bad guy. You're an extremist. But if the government does it, 
it's a-okay, folks. If the government does it, it's a big plus up. But if you do it, it's bad. They say that these threats, especially in Northern Europe and the Baltic Sea region, will have Finland prepared for what is to come. Ready to use in, uh, ready to use in the months ahead, the reserve, they say, will allow the dispatch of supplies to disaster and crisis areas within 12 hours of a uh, crisis. This will be to offer assistance as well as the uh, being ready to deploy against chemical, biological, and radiological attacks. Now, we get asked on the channel here often how we should prepare for family members or even ourselves if we have mobility issues. Mobility concerns in general conditions that are thought of as disabilities by the majority, these concerns are a major part of one's ability to survive a disaster. I want to tell you about some information that we are seeing. This is from people living with mobility concerns and other reported disabilities in the conflict that has been pushing across Europe between Russia and the West. One individual in these reports is named Tatiana. They have a 75-year-old mother. Their mother has lung complications after being diagnosed with advanced lung disease and for the better part of the last three years has been wholly dependent on a stationary oxygen concentrator that runs 24 hours per day to provide oxygen flows directly to that patient. Their home recently was without power for 10 hours straight. The horror of what she reported as a person struggles to breathe should remind you that if you have a family member with oxygen needs, you need a portable oxygen generator. Now you can buy these online. You can buy them on eBay, on Amazon, on any uh, sort of outlet, and you can buy them directly from Asia without a prescription. Now you might say, have these gone through all the checks and balances that one coming from an American source with a prescription will? No, they have not. But for around $200, you can also buy those same checks and balances on eBay, on Amazon, and other outlets. And those are machines that hook directly up to the oxygen generator. And those measure the amount uh, and flow of oxygen coming out of the machine. You see, through a process, oxygen generators use zeolite and other materials to basically create a dense amount of oxygen just from the air that's around us. And then they pass it through the, uh, the pipes into your nose. So having one of these for $300 really makes sense. It might not be you that needs it. In fact, as my children suffered from RSV recently, I put the oxygen generator on them. Anytime that their oxygen went down below 96% or they were having a hard time breathing, made sure to use it for me and Kelly first. During blackouts, Tatiana says she uses a portable version of an oxygen generator, but hours into an unexpected long outage, she only had around 40 minutes left. This was not nearly enough. That's when Tatiana called a costly private medical company, likely armed. They came and picked up her mother and took her to a life-saving hospice uh, area. Belsinki's blood oxygen level, that's her mother, had fallen to a critical 80%, where you might know 95% plus, really 94% plus, is considered generally healthy. By that time that she was connected to an oxygen device in the ambulance, 
it was getting drastically lower. She said otherwise she would have suffocated. Now these types of services are going to continue to exist in a crisis in your area. When doctors can't be found, when no one's there for the dentist, when bullets are flying around, there will be people posting on social media and other areas, even just through word of mouth, that will come and pick up your loved one and take them somewhere. But it is going to cost you. And that's why we see people saying, should I use things for barter and trade? Should I hold on to things like gold and silver? What about other valuables? Absolutely. Now, these individuals, though they might seem like they are doing a service and it's on the up and up, if you go into debt with them, that might not be the case. They might still come pick up Nanny. They might still come pick up Poppy. But if you go into debt with them and you don't pay up, they will come and pick up you. They say it affects, speaking of the outages, the people with disabilities a lot. That's Roshenko, the head of a rehabilitation center. That person's son uses a wheelchair. They warn they're without access to stable power and with constant threats to movement. It has become a daily challenge for people with disabilities to be able to take care of themselves, to be able to even make food or exercise. They can't leave their homes because the electricity won't provide the elevators with function. It's difficult, not only physically, but morally, to withstand this pressure, Roshenko says. When no one's there to help you, you sit at home with no power, with no water, with nothing. He says darkly, I see self-harm thoughts all around. So as you listen to these things that are affecting people around us, I want you to be reminded that the people around us in America, in the Western world, just because they are not affected by an SHTF event today, just because they haven't suffered an economic calamity, their house or car has not been taken from them, that doesn't mean these things won't happen to them or to you tomorrow. It is in our best interest to get ready to do everything we can to the best of our abilities. And you do this without fear because you are prepared. Preparation removes the fear. It can still be a burden, but sticking to the motto of doing your chores, doing your prep work, and then having fun will allow you to wake up tomorrow and do all of those things again without that burden seeming like such a heavy yoke around your neck. Please, everyone, stay the path. Do what you can and get ready for the unknowns of tomorrow. From my family to you and yours, please stay safe and keep watch. This week's Full Spectrum News is brought to us by you, all of our members on Patreon. If you have a question, please leave the word question first at the beginning of your comment. If you haven't already, subscribe to us on YouTube only. It's the only place that we put videos out every day. Come back tomorrow and see what's happening in America and around the world. If you're interested in antibiotics, check out contingencymedical.com. They offer real antibiotics from real doctors and a real pharmacy. It's not for you to use right now. It's for you to use if a tooth has to come out and you can't get to a dentist. If you get a cut and you can't get to a doctor. If someone has pneumonia and you can't get a hold of the medication. This is the
moment of truth. And now the Friday Crime Report. Art imitates life, only in this case, art imitates death. For those of you who have been hiding under a rock for the last 18 months, back in October 2021, Alec Baldwin accidentally shot and killed a young cinematographer while filming a movie in New Mexico. There's been serious questions about how exactly Baldwin came to be pointing the gun at his victim and how he happened to pull the trigger as well. What's followed has been a largely tame and subdued response by the white media. They've basically been sympathetic to Baldwin. They haven't done a deep dive into Baldwin's past or his previous run-ins with the law because that's something they only do to black people. The public has a short attention span, so by not mentioning Baldwin's priors, the white media is trying to give the false impression that he doesn't have any. Well, the black media don't play that. Because you won't be surprised to learn that Alec Baldwin has a long-standing history of run-ins with the law and general public disturbances, mostly tied to the fact that this man simply cannot or will not control his temper. He's like a child. Well, what do you expect when you live in a society that caters to you and pampers you and gives you privilege and never tells you no? You get an entire group of people who become infantilized and think nothing about acting out until they become 30, 40, 50, and 60-year-olds throwing temper tantrums at the drop of a hat. Here's just a few of Alec Baldwin's past run-ins with the law and other violent altercations that the white media isn't talking about. In 1995, Baldwin got into an altercation with a photographer outside his home. Apparently, the paparazzi was taking a video of Baldwin and his then-wife, Ken Basinger's newborn baby. Baldwin said he only slapped the camera out of the man's hand. The photographer, however, claims that Baldwin broke his nose. Baldwin was charged with misdemeanor battery, but was later acquitted. No one from the white media has reminded you about this incident, have they? In 2002, Baldwin and his then-wife, Ken Basinger, divorced. Basinger's father said that Baldwin's temper was a factor in the divorce. They asked him to seek counseling, but according to them, he went one or two times, then quit. Well, this wouldn't be Baldwin's last opportunity to seek counseling for his anger issues. In 2007, Baldwin and Basinger were locked in a bitter custody dispute over their daughter, Ireland. That was when Alec Baldwin left that infamous voicemail for his daughter that got leaked to the white media. Hey, I want to tell you something, okay? And I want to leave a message for you right now. Because again, 10.30 here in New York on a Wednesday. And once again, I made an ass of myself trying to get to a phone to call you at a specific time. When the time comes for me to make the phone call, I stop whatever I'm doing. And I go and I make that phone call at 11 o'clock in the morning in New York. And if you don't pick up the phone at 10 o'clock at night, and you don't even have that goddamn phone turned on, I want you to know something, okay? Uh, I'm tired of playing this game with you. I'm leaving this message with you to tell you, you have insulted me for the last time. You have insulted me. You don't have the brains or the decency as a human being I don't give a damn that you're 12 years old or 11 years old, or that you're a child, or that your mother is a father's pain in the ass, who doesn't care about what you do as far as I'm concerned. You have humiliated me for the last time with this phone. And when I come out there next week, I'm going to fly out there for the day just to straighten you out on this issue. I'm going to let you know just how disappointed in you I am and how angry I am with you that you've done this to me again. You made 
outside the marriage license bureau which is located at a courthouse by the way that's the perfect place to get to a tussle with someone oh and just for the record after the altercation Baldwin then went on Twitter and posted this I suppose if the offending paparazzi was wearing a hoodie and I shot him it would all blow over oh really Trayvon Martin reference real classy then just 10 days after that he went and did it again, physically accosting a paparazzi in the middle of the street this time, grabbing the man's arm and berating and cursing at him to get out of here. August 2013, Baldwin confronted yet another photographer who had been taking pictures of Baldwin and his wife in Manhattan. Baldwin shoved the paparazzi against a car. The police came out, but both Baldwin and the photographer declined to press charges. Just three months after that, Baldwin got into another fight with a photographer, this time using a gay slur while screaming at the man. He tried to argue with TMZ about it, but in the end, he copped to it and apologized for using the slur. May 2014, Baldwin was arrested again in Manhattan, this time for riding his bike the wrong way down Fifth Avenue. But that wasn't what got him put in handcuffs. That happened because he began to argue with the officer when she asked him to show his ID and he became belligerent with her. He was cited for biking the wrong way and disorderly conduct, but he's got genetic immunity from law, so he was given a pardon by the judge, and the charges were dropped. November 2018, Baldwin was arrested again after he punched a man over a parking space. Baldwin said the man had stolen his parking spot. 
Baldwin was charged with assault and harassment, so it's not just paparazzi that Baldwin has gotten into fights with. Apparently, his fellow motorist and even his own daughter can get it too. Of course, genetic immunity from the law is the foundation of the American judicial system, so the DA gave Baldwin a plea deal where all he had to do was plead simple harassment, and the judge gave him a $120 fine and ordered him to attend an anger management course. By the way, Baldwin was 60 years old when he did this. 60. He was damn near a senior citizen, but still acting out like a punk teenager from Jersey Shore. See, if Baldwin had been black, the white media would be giving us a recap of his every brush with the law, if he had any, of every faux pas, every accusation made against him, even if they were proven to be false. They would repeat any gossip, any rumor, just so they would be able to push the narrative that, oh, this black man's had problems with the law. He's been involved in all sorts of trouble for a long time. And given this guy's decades-long anger issues, the white media would be putting that voicemail to his daughter on a constant loop if he was black. We should have been hearing all about the fights and arrests that he's been involved with, and apparently he just can't seem to make it through his day without going off on someone, even his own daughter. Now, with this latest incident having resulted in a fatality, you would think, given the white media's history, that they'd be saying, well, it was just a matter of time before it got to this, and oh, look at how far Alec Baldwin has fallen. That's what they should be running. The rise and fall of Alec Baldwin. Oh, his history of erratic, out of control, even violent behavior. Why aren't they bringing the same this was inevitable narrative to the story? Because white supremacy. That's why. Now, ever since he killed that woman, Baldwin has been steadily trying to change the headline ever since. First, he did some bizarre interview on the side of the road with some reporters. Then, when that backfired, he decided to weigh in on the Will Smith Oscar slap fiasco. But that blew up in his face even worse because the public couldn't help but notice that a man who killed someone looks really strange giving his opinion about somebody being slapped. These days, Baldwin is suing the armor and the crew of the movie that he was on in an effort to clear his name. Normally, I would say that Baldwin needs to keep his mouth shut and that if he doesn't, he's going to talk himself right into a jail cell. But the reality is, in all likelihood, Baldwin's past record of being able to assault people, threaten his daughter, and break laws with no consequences will also repeat itself here. In fact, the authorities are already telegraphing that his immunity from the law has kicked in hard, because although Alec Baldwin has been charged, the DA currently has no plans to arrest him. You heard that right. The DA said they're not going to arrest Alec Baldwin. Charged, but not arrested? Oh, watch that white privilege work. This case has been under investigation for over a year now, and the only ones who have been more silent than the police up until this point are the white media. This is the first news of any charges to come out of it. As usual, the gears of justice grind to a halt, the second the authorities don't have a black person to go after. There's no chance this will be treated as a trial of the century by the white media. No chance the white media will stake out any of Baldwin's homes and breathlessly report on the smallest insignificant rumor about this. No CNN reports like the case against Baldwin. No specials about the rise and fall of Alec Baldwin. You know, the kind of stories that they run about black celebrities who get in trouble, which is supposed to be a book into their career to say, well, this is the end of them. We want to make sure you just remember they went out like this. 
the Me Too Times Up crowd isn't saying a word about Alec Baldwin, about how he's been abusive towards women. They won't mention how he likes to pal around with the likes of convicted child rapist Roman Polanski and director James Toback, who, by the way, has been accused of everything from lewd behavior to sexual assault by 38 women. These are the kind of upstanding citizens that Alec Baldwin likes to hang around with. Now, the white media had no problem doing a fraudulent cover for the New York Magazine showing all the thoughts who accused Bill Cosby of wrongdoing. But this case with James Toback, 38 accusers. And New York Magazine doesn't want to do a cover with all of them, and neither does the LA Times or anyone else. They have a rule that they don't do that when the person accused isn't black. And Kamal Dumbbell won't be doing any documentaries about We Gotta Talk About Alec Baldwin. He won't be talking about all the times Baldwin has been in trouble with the law and walked away without even a slap on the wrist. Apparently, rich and famous white celebrities don't qualify as powerful in Kamal Bell's book. And there will be no efforts to remind people of all the crimes and acting out that he's done over the decades because they don't want to make the public disgusted with him. That's why they're downplaying this, minimizing it. They want to paint him out as being some victim of circumstance. The white media is not about to undermine the legal doctrine of genetic immunity from law. The reporting will continue to be sympathetic towards Baldwin. It will be all about what kind of legal defense can he put forward. And of course, they'll be hinting that it ought to be successful. It won't be about how strong the DA's case is because they don't want to condition people to think that Baldwin should go to prison for this. When someone with genetic immunity from law's freedom is on the line, White media narrative must be how difficult it's going to be to prove them guilty and how there's no proof that they meant to do it and how the accused has been overcharged, etc. They condition the public that, well, you need to understand why this person can't go to prison. They refuse to create an air of inevitability about this because the same privilege that Baldwin has relied upon for all these decades to keep him out of prison is the same privilege that the people who run the white media depend on, too. If I had to call it now, I would say Alec Baldwin will be allowed yet another plea deal. It's practically a cliche at this point. The assistant director on that movie has already accepted a plea deal and will get a suspended sentence and six months probation. So the DA is already seeming to telegraph that the refusal to arrest Baldwin isn't some fluke. It's the whole point. I suspect it won't be long at all before Baldwin is back on the set of yet another movie, this time shooting some scenes instead of people, I hope. And as for this incident, well, think about all the other celebrities who have killed people that never went to trial or spent a moment behind bars. I'm thinking about Caitlyn Jenner and Matthew Broderick, just to name a few. And when you think about that, you see that when the white media refuses to mention these people's wrongdoings, even when they kill people, the public will quickly forget. And even if this incident proves to be the exception, it won't mean much. Alec Baldwin will still be able to go back to making movies again, same way his pal Roman Polanski has been making movies and getting Oscars since he raped and sodomized a child back in the 70s, and he still hasn't seen the inside of a prison cell. Who knows? In time, the same white media who's ignored Baldwin's behavior may decide to make a movie about this tragedy, and knowing Alec Baldwin, he'll probably want to star in it as himself. If that happens, the white media will praise it, give it awards, laud Baldwin for his bravery, and probably ask when they'll make a sequel. And that's this week's Friday Crime Report. Keep your eyes open and stay alert. 
because there's a lot worse criminals out there than the ones the white corporate media chooses to show. Good day and be one. I'd like to take a moment to mention some of our contributors. Terry White, Joy Anderson, Turk McKenzie, Marvin Woods, and Brian Walton. Salute to them and thank you to everyone for listening, liking, and sharing this message. Black empowerment only exists because of you. afternoon everyone things are definitely heating up around our world and i hope that your family is doing what they can to get ready a russian tu-21 4sr doomsday plane which is used as an airborne command center is currently doing circles at the time of the report that we got over st petersburg where it was announced that president Putin would be making his speech commemorating the 80th anniversary of the breaking of the siege of leningrad we know that they are getting ready for World War, and the U.S. is getting ready for World War II. I caught on to a Reddit post on Poverty Finance or one of the other poverty subreddits. It was, I was surprised to see a generalized view of preparedness, of readiness in the face of such financial adversity. The writer posted the following topic. I have 182 kilograms works out to about 400 pounds of food stored. Food security, they say, means more than just one meal. It means breathing room. A little bit of background they wrote. The person says, I come from poverty, but not extreme poverty. One of the difficult things about getting out of poverty, they mentioned, is the chain of inefficient decisions that a person is forced to make. Being broke means higher interest rates, greater risk of banking overdrafts, car troubles from the skipped oil change that you couldn't afford to make, or impossible medical bills that you can't face. It feels like the world is against you and that you are just one event away from disaster. The writer says, I never want to get to the point where I can pay a bill or go hungry. I know some who have gone that route and not paid the bill. But we all know where this leads. Bad credit, disconnected services, higher than ever interest rates. It's a damning cycle. The best way to keep your head above water is to avoid being forced into that decision, they write, because that decision can cause you to drown. It's taken about two years of gradually storing up food but they say, I have a supply of 150 pounds of beans, 30 pounds of lentils, 100 pounds of oatmeal, 60 pounds of turkey or canned chicken, and 65 pounds of rice. They mentioned the total cost out of their pocket as being 550 US dollars. They say they bought the supply of rice and beans when it was on sale. They got to one of the cheapest foods for even cheaper. But they say they have found something else that food security has bought them. And that is a peace of mind, a little bit of breathing room. Salt Tangelo writes back to that individual saying, when COVID first started out, Salt Tangelo bought some 50 pound bags of rice and beans. They say they're still working through the beans. 
But at this point, buying a small bag of rice seems silly, inefficient, inconvenient, and overtly expensive. Kerfluffle99, as their Reddit name, says, yes, we totally started a stockpile during COVID. It took time to eat through that stockpile, so while we were depleting the older food, we had a surplus of newer. Another individual writes in and said their name is Run Fat Girl Run. They say I do the same. I sometimes mentally calculate how long I will last before having to do another food shop. It's reassuring to know that regardless of what comes my way, I at least won't have to worry about food. The key is to get organized. Rotate your stuff so that you don't risk things expiring. Those are all good notes, but we note here at Full Spectrum Survival that the USDA has put out guidelines that the expiration dates that they place on food are more than more guidelines toward the best eaten by dates. They say with canned food in particular, they last indefinitely unless you find signs of spoilage. Fun Intention writes in to say, how do you store the stuff that isn't frozen? All the beans, the oatmeal, the rice, and the lentils. They mentioned that, that it is incredible that the person was able to store this and they're happy for them. The original poster referred to on Reddit as the OP says, thank you. There are some cabinets, almost everything is in its original packaging, which seems pretty robust. They mentioned not having a problem yet with the older food. They finished off two-year-old rice and it was fine. Kelly and I have the uh, fortune of bringing the idea of weevils, the idea of weevils to people here in the community. When you get rice from the store or rice from your favorite Chinese restaurant, it already contains the eggs for weevils inside of it. Weevils are small bugs. Given enough time and access to oxygen, the weevils will hatch, and then your rice will have a little bit of extra protein inside of it. The weevils lay their eggs inside of the rice because it's the perfect ground for them. It gives them a food source to grow and find uh, new breeding grounds to lay new eggs. When you have rice that already has weevils in it, they just float to the top. You can, at the discretion of the user, either scrape them off the top with a spoon or stir them right back in. One U.S. state in America is being accused right now of creating a very well-hidden, secretive surveillance program, one that captures money transfers between average U.S. citizens and more than 20 different countries. It's being called a nationwide surveillance program that aims to track Americans' personal money transfers. This isn't conspiracy. This is already happening. Opponents of, the, of uh, government overreach say that this database gives basically free access to over 600 different law enforcement entities. These include the FBI, this includes a secret nonprofit entity holding the information. This is so that the government does not need a warrant. Maybe they don't even need probable cause to filter through all of your banking and money transfer account dealings. The nonprofit in question is called the Transaction Record Analysis Center, or TRAC, better, TRAC, because they like to put the quiet part out loud. According to an investigation by Senator Ron Wyden, it gives free access to dozens of federal agencies, state and law enforcement groups, 
anyone willing to pay for access strictly without government or court oversight. It's all given to them for free, or should I say, pay to play access. A database of more than 150 million money transfers that are sent between people in the USA, as well as US citizens to people in more than 20 countries. Now, according to internal program documentation that has now been brought to light by the investigation, we see that this tyranny is right here in front of us. Track, they say, was at its inception a part of a previous year's settlement. The settlement was reached between Western Union and other organizations to combat cross-border trafficking of drugs or people from Mexico. It's since expanded to allow officials of more than 600 law enforcement entities and federal agencies across the USA, including the FBI, the DEA or Drug Enforcement Administration, as well as Immigration and Customs Enforcement. Don't worry, it also includes your local county and city police departments in every state to monitor the flow of funds through money services between the United States of America and other nations. Basically, it is illegal, but they let it be legal, says one opponent to the technology. Lawyers warn that it is essentially unconstitutional, but loopholes let it exist and be used. Now, tracks data includes the full names of the sender and recipient, as well as the transaction amounts. It's a law enforcement investigative tool, Mr. Level says. We don't broadcast it to the world, but we don't run from or hide from it either. Mr. Wyden, an Oregon politician, says that TRACT allows the government to serve itself in all-you-can-eat buffet of America's personal financial data. It, he says, bypasses the normal protections for Americans' privacy under the Constitution. Internal information shows unauthorized law enforcement agency queries into the database. These, of course, are made without the execution of a warrant. They're made to examine transactions of people inside the USA for evidence of wrongdoing, money laundering, maybe evading taxes. One slideshow prepared by a tracked investigator shows how the program's data can be used, and it can be used to scan for categories such as white, black, Asian, ethnicities, or name types of bulk transaction groups. You want a whole bunch of Middle Eastern or African American names? That's okay, there's a checkbox for that. Ordinary people's private financial recordings are being siphoned indiscriminately into a massive database with access that is given to virtually every law enforcement department who wants it. That's Nathan Fried Wessler. He's the deputy director of the ACLU's Speech, Privacy, and Technology Project. He says this program should have never been launched. And now, if you want to keep your constitutional rights, it must be shut down. Using normal warrants, of course, and banking information, your local law enforcement would typically need to show that documents are relevant to an investigation. This, through the judge, would secure them a subpoena or a warrant. But they say these laws don't apply because this is just a third-party nonprofit organization. On the web portal to track, publicly available online, 
A sign-up page states that Track is a law enforcement-only site. It warns visitors that their requests for access will be denied if they aren't in law enforcement or if they don't provide an active government email address. It's reported among those who are opponents to this that agencies use track data to establish patterns of behavior, flows of funds suspected of being linked to criminal activity, or maybe to make a criminal out of you. Mr. Level says, the more comprehensive the data, the better the analysis. Now, the worst part about all of this is that they don't have to prove where this data came from or how it was received in a court of law. After the fact, they are allowed to remake the trail of evidence to push for the conviction that they are hoping to get. Now, moving on to some other things that are happening around the world, we are seeing a Trojan horse theory taking place. We have a report in from Belarusian opposition leaders in a paper. Russia, they say, is secretly transporting its troops into Belarus, hidden inside of tank wagons. It is also being expected that Belarusian troops might be crossing the border and getting into Russia, fighting with Russia already, hiding inside of tank wagons. Possibly, they say, this indicates a renewed offensive from Belarus, and they warn that the world war we are all fearing and all concerned about will begin immediately. Okay, now speaking on the global war, here is where things get a little bit tricky. NATO's chief Stoltenberg is now claiming that in order for there to be peace in the world, the West must drown the Ukrainians and Europe, NATO countries, in weapons and ammunition. This, of course, goes against the plan to disarm the people of countries where they want to obtain total control of a police state. But nonetheless, here is where we stand. Now, in opposition to this, Russia's President Vladimir Putin made the claim that Russia's powerful military-industrial complex is ramping up its production. And they say this is one of the main reasons why Russia will prevail against Europe. When speaking to workers at a factory in St. Petersburg, inside of Russia, one that makes air defense systems, Putin said overall military equipment output is rising even as demand is growing. He says this is because of the hearts of the Russian people. He calls Russia's special military operation in Ukraine all but over. Speaking ahead of the meeting of Ukraine's allies at the Ramstein military base in Germany, the NATO Secretary General, his name is Stoltenberg, he warned that, quote, this is a pivotal moment in the war and the need for a significant increase in support of all NATO nations to the country of Ukraine. He told reporters in an open interview on the sidelines of the economic forum in Davos that the world must prepare to defeat Russia. If we want a negotiated, peaceful solution tomorrow, he says, we need to provide more weapons today. Isn't it interesting that their only claim to make peace in America is to take away the guns of the people? That's what they try to do in all countries, as you see, a move toward tyranny. But here, where they want freedom, they say that we should arm the people and arm 
the people fighting against an oppressor. Now this statement comes amid a push to provide main battle tanks for Ukraine, and we are starting to see Germany and other countries begin to buckle and allow the supply of different battle tanks and armaments, or at least allow their transfer to Ukraine from allied nations. Germany a couple of days ago said that as long as the United States of America continues to provide Ukraine with increasing amounts of arms and weapons, then Germany will follow suit. Stoltenberg says that Ukraine needs not only more air defense systems, but more armor, more ammunition, more spare parts, more maintenance capabilities, and more fight against Russia. Putin inside of Russia says that in terms of achieving the end, the end result as he calls it, and the victory that he says is inevitable, there are several things. One, the unity and cohesion of the Russian and multinational Russian people. He says the courage of heroism in our fighters will make us win. And of course, he continues the work of the military industrial complex in factories like the one he is speaking in. And then people like you, he says to great applause. Victory, he says, is assured. He has no doubt about that. Putin said that Russian arms companies manufactured the same number of uh, anti-aircraft missiles as the rest of the world, but three times more than the United States of America. Now, my warning to you is that if this is true, then this explains why China and why Russia are quickly depleting the American military of its missiles and other military tools. China and Russia together can build them back quicker. What we are doing today, Putin continues in his speech, including with our special operation, as he calls it, is an attempt to stop this war and protect our people, the people who live on in these territories. These, he says, are our historical territories, a reference to the fact that a large part of currently known and Western-aligned Ukraine was once part of the so-called great Russian empire. Now, in the economy, Cantor's Lutnik sees a 5% interest rate for a long time to come, he warns. He says that while it is likely the U.S. will experience a recession at the corporate level, economists throughout the land understand that the people, that is you and me, we will continue to experience a depression for some time to come. Now, as we wrap up this episode, I want, a question, I want to bring a question to you. That question is, what are you doing right now to get ready? Have you trained with any sort of weapon? For self-defense, of course. Have you thought about the scenarios that could bring violence to your doorstep? Have you talked about riots with friends and family? And how you will have people sucked into the trap of protest and inside of those traps, they will quickly turn into mobs. And those mobs will quickly turn against the people. This is how it has happened for some time. So what are you doing to get ready? I would appreciate it if you would leave our community a comment. Let us know what you're doing. It could be first aid training, fishing and hunting, cooking from raw foods or wild edibles, learning how to navigate different areas in your region, finding alternative water sources. No matter what it is, we just have to do something to get ready. The shadows of tomorrow are getting longer by the day. 
And the more that we can do to prepare ourselves and our families, the better in a, in a better position we will find ourselves here in the near future. From my family to yours, please stay safe, remain ever vigilant, and keep watch. This week's Full Spectrum News is brought to us by you, all of our members on Patreon. Check out contingencymedical.com. Use the code oh FSS10.